Uh, well, in recent years, uh, there seems, to me at least, to have been an increase in marches or protests or rallies uh, for the purpose of showing solidarity for some cause. Um, just last week around the country, there were Invasion Day rallies to show their solidarity with Indigenous Australians. Um, in recent months, there's been pro-Palestinian rallies to express solidarity with Palestinians in the wake of the war in Israel. In recent years, there's been the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, we've seen sports stars taking a knee or refusing to play as they express their solidarity in these causes. And I'm sure you can probably think of other examples. Now, I raise that not to give you my opinion on those various causes, but simply to highlight the power of solidarity, that there is something very powerful about when someone comes alongside to stand with you, to support you, and to say, I am on your side. And I hope that you do feel the power of that because that is exactly what we see Jesus doing for us in our passage today. Um, we're only looking really at a few verses today. Uh, Mark 1, uh, 9 to 13 is our focus. Uh, we looked at the first eight verses last week. Um, but I think it's really worth us digging deep into what's going on here as Jesus arrives as this promised Messiah. And there's these uh, three distinct events which take place and each of them show us how Jesus has come to stand with us, uh, to come alongside us, to show his solidarity with us as he identifies as one of us. And I've tried to just capture that in the headings there in your newsletter and they'll be on the screen. Three events and the good news that they bring for us today. First, that Jesus' baptism is our cleansing. Second, that Jesus' sonship is our status. And third, that Jesus' temptation is our help. So that's what we're going to unpack a little bit today. Last week, uh, we began this journey into John's gos uh, Mark's Gospel, but, and Mark begins initially by introducing us to John the Baptist, whose job was to prepare the way for the promised Messiah. He does that, as it says there in verse 4, through preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as he's doing that, well, thousands of people come into the wilderness to receive his baptism. And as they do, well, John announces the imminent arrival of the greater one coming after him. And in Mark's very characteristic fast-paced fashion, we see that immediately in verse 9, Jesus arrives, which is our first event for today, Jesus' baptism. So take a look at verse 9. It says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and was baptised by John in the Jordan. So in the verses just before this, Mark has told how all of the people came to John. They came from uh, Jerusalem and the surrounding area of Judea, and they came in their thousands from that region. But now we're told that one person, Jesus, came from Galilee in the north. And this one who came from Galilee came from the rather despised town of Nazareth. And so all of our focus is now drawn to him. And to ask the question, well, why does he come? Why does Jesus come to John by the Jordan River in the wilderness to be baptised by him? Well, it can only be because he came in order to stand with those people who by their thousands were confessing their sins. 
And it's a remarkable scene, isn't it, if you can picture it? Um, here's a picture, just to help put it in your minds, maybe. It's a bit different today. This is when we visited 10 years ago. This is the Jordan River, something of what it looks like today. This is very likely the location where these events took place. Um, you can see there's been a few structures made for tourists so that they can get a bit closer to it. Um, but this is the kind of a very deserted area just south of Jericho. And uh, this is the place, as Mark records, where thousands of people were coming. And if you can imagine it, confessing their sins and being baptised by John in the Jordan River. And then Jesus comes. But unlike everyone else, when Jesus comes, he comes with no sins to confess. But he too is baptised as he stands with those who sought forgiveness for their sins. See, in order to fully identify with us sinners, this is what Jesus does. He goes into the wilderness and submits himself to baptism. And as we read here, right at the start in chapter 1, what Mark tells us about this baptism, well, if we've read right to the end of the gospel, it will take our minds to another time when Jesus speaks of another baptism. Um, It's over in chapter 10 and verse 38. It's in the context of Jesus speaking to his disciples. And in Mark 10, verse 38, he says this to them. He says, Can you drink the cup that I drink and be baptised with the baptism that I am baptised with? Now, what's he talking about there? Well, just before this, in verse 33 of chapter 10, he says this. Uh, He says, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and three days later he will rise. And Jesus says to his disciples, are you able to be baptised with the baptism that I am baptised with? See, this baptism is his death. He will be overwhelmed, he'll be engulfed in death. That's the baptism with which he will be baptised. And so at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and at the end, there is a baptism. There's a baptism in the Jordan River as he comes to stand alongside sinners and there is a death that he will die for sinners as he gives his life as a ransom for many. And so as Jesus stands here in Mark 1 in the Jordan River and is baptised there, it's an anticipation of what he will eventually do as he has come to identify with sinners and to stand in their place. And so I hope you see something of the solidarity here with us. There's no need for Jesus to be cleansed of sin, but his baptism is for our cleansing, as it speaks of the forgiveness of sins that is available to all who will repent and believe the good news about him. And so as we come then to the next event, we see that not only are we washed clean by Jesus, but we are also welcomed in as he shares with us his, his status as the beloved son. So this is the next thing that happens from verse 10. It says, Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. 
Now, um, in Old Testament times, there was a prayer of Israel in the wilderness that uh, Jock read for us earlier in Isaiah 64. And that prayer begins, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And it was a cry that God would come and put things right, that he would come and fix up this messed up world. And Mark announces that Jesus came and he goes into the wilderness and now as he comes up out of the waters of baptism, Jesus sees this vision of the heavens being torn open and the Spirit of God descending on him. It's an answer to that prayer, isn't it? And again, it's interesting, as you read right through to the end of Mark, if you think of that image of the, something being torn open, that word torn, well, there's another place where Mark uses that word, and it's the occasion where a curtain is torn from top to bottom, the curtain that was in the temple. It was the curtain that separated us from God. It was the curtain that stood between the most holy place in the inner part of the temple where God's presence was, And it symbolised our um, inability to come near God, to approach him. But as Jesus enters his real baptism, as he at the cross is overwhelmed in death, well, it's at that moment that the curtain is torn in two, is rent apart, is ripped open. And I'm sure Mark has carefully crafted his gospel so that we would join these dots. Now, last week we thought briefly about how uh, I think he's giving us a clue that as we read through Mark, we're meant to read it with the book of Isaiah in our minds. And so we hear that prayer in Isaiah, God, when will you rend the heavens and come down? And then straight away Mark says, the heavens are torn open and the spirit has come down. And so read on, we're still in the Jordan River as we read verse 11. It says, and then a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. I think as though to make the point absolutely clear, Jesus is not confessing his sins. No, instead another voice confesses the truth about him. It's the voice of the father from heaven that he is well pleased with his son. And so there's a picture of Jesus commissioning and his anointing as the chosen king of the kingdom. And in this we see this affirmation in his relationship with the father that he is assured of the father's love and delight in him. Now again, if we track this theme right through Mark's gospel of a voice speaking from heaven and affirming the son, well, it takes us firstly to the transfiguration in chapter 9 with a voice from heaven, says, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. But when we get to the end of the gospel, well, Jesus will hear no voice from heaven. Uh, He will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he will hear nothing. And why on that occasion, why no voice as Jesus dies? Well, do you see again because it's how he is standing in our place. He is dying for us. He's being shut off for us so that the way to God can be torn open. 
he is forsaken so that the Father can share with us his status and say now to you and me, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. See, that's really what Jesus' solidarity with us means. Uh, Martin Luther, in his great essay, The Freedom of a Christian, describes it by saying that everything that is ours becomes his and everything that is his <clears throat> becomes ours. So uh, our sins, our death, our damnation, Jesus takes all of that. That all belongs to him. While his grace and his life and his salvation... He gives that to us and they become ours. And that's what's going on here. The access to the Father that is his, well, that is opened for us as the curtain is torn, that becomes ours. The the approval from the Father that is his, his status as the beloved son in whom the Father delights and is well pleased, that is given to us. That is now your status. That's what his solidarity with us means. He unites himself to us so that everything that is ours becomes his and everything that is his becomes ours. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? That's why I think gospel came to mean good news. His baptism is our cleansing. His sonship is our status. And finally today, the third scene, Jesus' temptation... Uh, Look now at verse 12. It says, At once the Spirit sent him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Now again, I think we need to ask, I mean, what what does this event here mean? Because it's a bit of an odd thing to happen. Uh, No sooner has this voice from heaven spoken, and then straight away Jesus is sent out into the wilderness for 40 days. Why is that the first thing that happens immediately after his commissioning and that affirmation as the beloved son? Well, a clue I take it is in the 40 days uh, because here is an echo of the 40 years that the Israelites spent in the wilderness. They were sent into the wilderness because they failed to trust and obey God. So how about this son? This true Israelite, the one in whom the Father is well pleased, how will he go in the wilderness? Will he prove faithful where Israel failed? That's the question, isn't it? Because what happens in the wilderness there is that Jesus is being tempted or tested by Satan. It's the same kind of word. He's sent into the desert alone. And we're told that Jesus was with the animals, emphasising, I take it, what a dangerous place it was in the wilderness, But God kept him safe. The angels attended him. Now Mark here just moves on so quickly, doesn't he? He doesn't give us the details that the other gospel writers do about the three times that Jesus is tempted and the three times that he answers and remains faithful. But what Mark does alert us to by including this brief account right here at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry is that this is the beginning of a struggle that will continue throughout the gospel. And like the other events that we've considered so far, well, this one also finds its climax at the cross. Because there again, Jesus will be alone. And at the cross, he will be put to the ultimate test. 
And that psalm of the cross, if you remember Psalm 22, which so vividly pictures the struggle that Jesus endures, it speaks of the struggle as like being surrounded by wild animals. Wild bulls surround me, it says. Roaring lions open their mouths against me. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains surround me. They pierce my hands and my feet. And so again, here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it's an anticipation of the end. But again, see his solidarity with us. Through this testing, uh, here in uh, chapter 1, But then through the ultimate test at the cross, Jesus remains faithful. He proves to be the true and better son who overcame temptation. He proves to be the true and better Israel who always remained obedient to God. And as he comes to stand with us, doing for us what we were unable to do ourselves, and as he is triumphant over sin and temptation... Well, the writer of the Hebrews says this to us in Hebrews 4, that we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, Mark begins his gospel by announcing the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And today we've heard the good news of the Messiah's arrival. We've heard that in in him, God has come near. In his son, he has come as one of us to identify with us, to suffer and to die for us, to be raised and to rule as one of us. And we began early today by thinking about the power of solidarity that feeling of what it's like when someone comes alongside you to stand with you and to support you and to say, I'm with you and I'm on your side. And as we reflect on that this morning, then I wonder, is that how you feel about God or your relationship with God, that he is near, that he stands with you, that he is for you? that he is on your side? Or maybe in our hearts, does it often feel more like the opposite? That he's absent or distant or that he's against you? Well, can I say that we need to let this gospel that Mark is announcing shape the way that we think about who God is and how it is that God relates to us? Because the good news that Mark is announcing is that in his son, God has come near and he couldn't come any closer. He couldn't be any nearer to come near to you and to say, I am with you and I am on your side. He has come to share in our humanity in order to share with us all of his blessings. And so as we finish today, how do we respond to this good news? Well, I've got three R words, maybe to help us remember that, that come out of our passage to summarise our response. Three R words are to repent, to rest and to rejoice. First, to repent. I mean, as Jesus comes to the river and stands among all those being baptised and confessing their sins, then that's 
got to be reminded to us that repentance is the way that we share in Jesus' blessings. And if you've never done that, if you've never repented, turned back to Jesus by confessing your sins, then can I urge you to do that? Don't, don't put it off. But repentance is also the daily duty or, or the daily task for us as believers. I mean, we draw near to God by confessing our sins. And in doing that, we're reminded of his grace that washes us clean. But secondly, having repented, we can rest. We can rest in the new status that we are given. That the Father says to you what he says to his Son, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And finally, hearing that, we rejoice. We rejoice in Jesus' victory for us, his presence with us, and his daily help and grace to meet us in our time of need. Friends, this is the good news that Isaiah looked forward to. Um, When Isaiah looked forward, he spoke about our day. He said, in that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Let me pray that we might rejoice in that good news. Our Father God, we do have so much uh, to rejoice in as we reflect today on the gospel of your Son. Father, some of it seems almost too good to be true and too hard to believe. So help us to be those who do hear and believe the good news by your Spirit. And that as we turn to Jesus, that we might rest in his grace and that we would rejoice in his salvation. Amen.